Um, sometimes you get ex- gosh, this thing. All right. Sometimes you get really excited about something, and you just can't help yourself, and things just kind of come out of you. Whether it be milk out of your nose because you're really excited about the joke that your friend told. Uh, I was in New York City recently, as you do, and um, just for the weekend with my wife, uh, we went to New York, and um, we were hanging with a friend in New York, and she works at a clothing store, and she was telling us about how Tina Fey had recently come into her store, and she like helped Tina Fey, which is like everybody in this room's dream. Like Tina Fey seems like the coolest person, and. Um, there's two kinds of people when they meet celebrities. There's like the, I'm going to show this person that I'm cool. And like, I maybe don't even know who they are. You know, like we're just, it's just humans being together. Uh, and then there's the kind of people that don't care. They're just like, oh my gosh, you're Tina Fey. And, you know, I'm just like, yes, I am. And uh, so she was helping Tina Fey. She was the first kind, just played it cool, helped her find her clothes, helped her shop. But then when she went to check out, her friend checked her out. And her friend tried to play it cool. But apparently Miss Fey like cleared her throat like real softly, like... <clears throat> Like that, just like a real soft cough, and her friend was like, "Do you need a bottle of water?" She, 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 she screamed across the store, "I can get you some water if you need, need water." Um, and apparently, Tina Fey was like, "I'm I'm fine, thank you." But sometimes uh, your excitement just comes out of you, and tonight in our passage, uh, there's some of that going on. Uh, we're, the Acts is the fifth book of the of the New Testament, by the way, and it's the story of how. Um, how it happens that people that follow Jesus went from like a small group of like a handful of people to like this worldwide phenomenon. And Peter and John, who are the guys that uh, are most prominent in this passage, I'm just going to read off the handout too. They, um, they're really excited and they can't hold back because they had been walking to the temple in Jerusalem and there was a man sitting by a gate there and he had been um, disabled in his legs his entire life. He had never walked in his life. And as they were going by, uh, friends would bring this guy to this gate and he would basically ask for money all day. That's how he survived. And um, Peter and, and John are walking by and the guy asks them for money. And Peter goes, I don't, literally goes, I don't have any money, but what I do have I give you. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the guy not only stands up, the guy jumps up. It says he leapt up and he starts leaping all around the place. And uh, when that happens, people are so mesmerized and amazed that this thing has happened that literally thousands of people come around and Peter preaches to them about Jesus, this Jesus that just healed this guy. And, uh, and on that day, a couple of thousand people come to faith in Jesus. It's this amazing thing that happens. And this enrages this group of people called the Sadducees. And Sadducees were kind of like the sort of cultural and political and religious elites, you know, um, the people that kind of controlled all the chips in the culture. And they have Peter and John arrested. Now, here's the thing. They bring them before this, this council. And this council is the same council that basically decided to murder Jesus like a few months before this, right? They are really tight with the Roman government. And they are able to put Peter and John in jail. They're able to kill Peter and John. This is a very, very dangerous situation for them. And uh, that's what we pick up in our text, is that Peter and John had just seen this thing happen, and they're standing before this council, and this is what happens in Acts chapter 4. I think this is a really important word for us tonight, so let's give our attention to it. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the, in the midst, they inquired, 
By what power or by what name did you do this, healing this man? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, This is so striking. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. I'm just going to pray quickly and ask God to bless our time together. Father, thank you so much for your grace to us and your word. And uh, Lord, regardless of where we're coming from tonight, skeptical, excited, distracted, um, grieving, uh, Lord, you know us all, and you know how to speak to each of us from your word, and we ask that you would do that by your spirit, that you would help us see Jesus, and that we would be excited about what he is doing in our lives, and we pray in his name, amen. Uh, What I think is really striking about this passage is the power of Jesus. Peter goes to this guy and he says, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. This guy leaps to his feet. And then Peter stands before this group of people that clearly do not want him to talk about Jesus. And he says clearly to them, Jesus, now mind you, who isn't there. It's not like Jesus is standing to the side, right? Like Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's not there. Peter says, by this Jesus, this man has has been healed by his name, by the power of his name. Um... Now, Peter didn't have to say it like that. This man was going to be healed no matter what. And Peter knows he's putting himself in danger by talking about Jesus. He just could have said, yeah, this thing happened. It's not a big deal. We won't talk about it anymore. And he would have been left alone and the man still would have been fine. But but he doesn't do that. He's very bold. Later in the passage, they, they threaten Peter and John and tell them to stop talking. And the word there where it says they saw their boldness is a Greek word that basically breaks into all speech. They saw that not only were they going to tell them the truth about what happened, they were going to tell them the entire truth and hold nothing back from them. They weren't going to conceal any of it. When they were faced with danger over the name of Jesus, they went above and beyond proclaiming that Jesus was powerful and had healed this person. Now, that is not most of us. Okay, If you're here tonight and you believe in Jesus, that isn't typically how your life probably functions. And the question for us tonight is, if Jesus' name is so powerful, 
And if he is working so powerfully in so many of our lives, why are we so often afraid to say that? Why are we embarrassed to talk about Jesus? Why do we talk around Jesus? And not many of you are here, and I know so many of you, I know how God has worked in your lives. Many of you have received new life in Jesus. You've been brought to life. Uh, many of you have a new hope in Jesus. Many of you have gotten truth for your life in the scripture that makes sense of the world. Some of you have re- experienced release from addiction or from despair. Um, some of you have had this relationship with Jesus where how you think about other people and think about your neighbor has changed completely. Some of you have gotten your only first true friends in this group of Christians or in the church. Some of you have gotten a calling or a gift in your life from knowing Jesus. And best of all, many of you have been brought into God's family, adopted in where you now have the smile of God the Father and know his delight. That has happened in so many of y'all's lives and in mine. But many of us, while we find Jesus' power exciting, we don't really like publicly want to talk about that or praise God. We don't pray with our friends that are not believing or have shown skepticism toward our faith. We are afraid or embarrassed, very reticent to share our perspective as a Christian person in your class or with a professor. Some of you guys are really slow to pursue ministry or a life in missions as a career. Um, And most of us don't talk to our friends about Jesus or give God credit for something that's going on. And the question for us tonight is, why, you know, why? Why is that the case? That we are not, we don't have this degree of confidence. And we're not assuming that everyone in here is believing. Everyone here knows where you are. But those of us that would consider ourselves Christians, why are we afraid in so many ways of the name of Jesus? And uh, I think part of the reason is this. Part of the reason is that we are simply embarrassed by Jesus. That we, that we live in a moment where really embracing the Lord Jesus and what he teaches feels embarrassing to us. And part of the reason why is because Jesus is just maddeningly exclusive. Um, Verse 12 uh, is probably the most horrifying verse for many of us in the passage, where Peter says, And there there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I'm borrowing a lot of this material from a guy named Brian Habig, by the way. He was really helpful to me. But verse 12 doesn't really sit well with us. You're like, I'm with you about Jesus' power. I come to RUF. I love hearing about God's love. And then once you start talking about it has to be Jesus, I'm just kind of like start getting, feeling a little bit like I don't want to come back to RUF. Please don't start on this. Because... When we think Jesus saying about himself or Peter saying about Jesus, hey, you have to know Jesus to know God. Um, how could that possibly be good news for the world? Um, you may have heard, probably have heard, a couple of different parables that, by which we get at this. Um, one of them that you, you may have heard often is like the parable of like the people going up, summiting the mountain, and all get, or climbing the mountain and all getting to the same place, right? Like there's all kinds of people... Very earnest, good people of different sort of faith traditions and perspectives and philosophies. And they're all climbing their path on the mountain, following their path. But they're all heading to the same summit. When they get to the top, they realize that they all went to the same place, right? Like any good person that's really committed to their thing, they're all going to end up kind of together. 
Uh, another one that's like more striking, I think, is the one that you've heard one about all the, the blind people and the elephant. You guys, you guys heard this one? Has anyone taken philosophy classes? Okay. Um, this just feels like a classic like philosophy class day one. I'm coming to Dom Cedron right now. He's giving me a head nod. Okay. If Dom is giving the head nod, then they probably talk about it in class. The blind people and the elephant is like there's an elephant and there's several blind folks. And uh, they are um, interacting with different parts of the elephant. And then they're explaining what an elephant is like, right? So one of them is around the leg of the elephant. He's like, oh, an elephant is like a tree trunk. You know, it's thick. And I put my arms around it. Uh, another person is, is against the side of the elephant, right? And they're like running their hands along the side. And they're like, oh, an elephant is like a wall. It's flat and, and very big. Uh, another person is like at the trunk. And they're like, oh, an elephant is like, no, 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 no. An elephant isn't like that at all. An elephant's like this big snake. And it like swoops down, you know. Another one's at the tail, and they're like, oh, no, an elephant is like, it's not even a snake. It's like a rope uh, that's a little frayed at the end. Um, you know, and that kind of represents all the faith and philosophy traditions of the world and throughout history, kind of all trying to describe the same thing. Well, one of my problems with the second parable is it feels like it's pretty condescending toward blind people. Um, because the people that I've known in my life that are blind typically have a better read on what's going on around than I do, so that's problematic. Um, But this is what I would say. Um, They're both helpful to help us understand. And I think the point of those parables is creating empathy for other perspectives, right? And um, But I think both of those uh, parables require a bit of intellectual pride. What I mean is, basically what you have to say if you're kind of holding on to those parables is um, there have been all these well-intentioned people throughout history, smart people, And uh, they can only see the path that they're on. Or they can only see their part of the elephant. But I can see the whole thing. Right? Like, all these people that, like, I would say on paper they're way smarter than me or whatever. They only can see their thing. I can see the whole perspective. And nothing feels more 21st century American Western than being like, everyone in history had such a limited perspective. But thankfully, I can see the entire vistas uh, of the world. It requires a kind of uh, intellectual pride in that way, um, it kind of minimizes different perspectives, right? Because you're like, I actually don't have anything to learn from these various perspectives because they're all kind of wrong. They're all kind of headed to the same place. It, it minimizes other cultures. And we, we, I know we don't want that. But I think there's something more, and that's this. Um, and I think this gets to the heart of really the Christian uh, perspective on the world. When we hear something like, hey... <laughs> Jesus is the only way to God. Okay? There's a lot of ways Jesus is the only way. We think, isn't that a bit exclusive, right? Because we think about, what, what, about um, what about the good and committed Muslim? What about the good and committed Hindu? What about the good and committed agnostic individual? People that care for their neighbor. They're good people. They're good citizens. They give back. Surely all those people are going to end up in the same place. And look, most of my friends that are not Christian people are much better people than I am. That's not like like feigning humility. Like legitimately are better citizens, more consistent, more committed, kinder people that I look up to and respect uh, incredibly. But if, if the premise is, well, all good people X, what about bad people? What about inconsistent people? What about people that struggle to keep their commitments? What about people that struggle to be devout in their own tradition? What about the people that are perpetually confused 
about who they are and who the world is and really find it a struggle to love their neighbor? What about those folks? And that question gets to the heart of what it means to have faith in Jesus. Um, Because following Jesus and knowing Jesus is a story of being rescued, not of finding the right path to the top. Um, Jesus is both radically exclusive and radically inclusive. Because Jesus says this, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Anybody that comes to me, I will receive them into my family. The world, as we know it, is religiously inclusive. Want to include all religious and philosophical traditions, but morally exclusive. Does that make sense? Like, we want to be inclusive on all religions, but be exclusive on morality. But Jesus is religiously exclusive. He says, you have, to, you have to worship me. But he's completely morally inclusive. Anybody can come to Jesus and he will accept them. And the question is, which of those is more troubling? In Jesus' economy, anybody can come. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you will do, you come in freely through the door to Jesus. But in the world's economy, anyone who is willing to earn it on our sliding and shifting value scale can come. Um, And Jesus is the only door, is the only path, whatever you want to call it, that works for the person who is truly struggling. And I'm willing to bet that most of y'all tonight feel like you are struggling to understand who you are, who God is, how you're supposed to live in the world, and how to love your neighbor. Because now all of you probably have roommates. And suddenly this whole call to love someone that lives next to you thing seems much more challenging than it had ever felt before. Um, There's a lot of perspectives and options out there in the world. And I feel uh, fatigued, to say the least, by all of the possible things I could be doing, thinking about reading at any given time. Choosing one of those things and saying, this is the thing feels like it could only be a preference and not reality. And I understand that. Sometimes we need to be rescued from what seems right to us in the moment. My daughter is two and a half. It's a big half. Um, and uh, she has lots of tricks. So if you uh, want to know that she knows lots of the words to um, Miss New Booty by Bubba Sparks and Nina Joel. <laughs> So if you go to fall conference and you go up to her and just say, I found you, she'll feel, she'll feel the rest of it. Um, but we, we live next to a park. And um, she, she, we were at the park the other day. And I wasn't watching her like super closely because she's a strong, independent two-year-old woman. And <laughs> when I took a look at her, she, someone had been in our playground with like those individual bottles of wine, like the little ones that like twist up. And she had two of them. And they were both in her mouth. And uh, she was like getting the dregs out of the bottom where someone had thrown on the ground. And at first I was like, that's hard. You know what I'm saying? Like, um. And then I came over and was like, no. Um, no, no, no. And I slapped them out. And uh, like, it's just because the show, like we think that we are like so much more mature than that. But like, there are so many things that present themselves to us at any given time that feel like the right thing right now. And Jesus rescues us from those things. And the question comes back to, 
why is it hard for us? Why are we embarrassed? Why aren't we bold? Why do we feel ashamed to go to someone and say, hey, it's free through Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. I want to, I want to talk to you about that. I want to pray with you and for you. Um, and I would say not only are you embarrassed of Jesus and I'm embarrassed of Jesus, um, but you're also desperately afraid um, because you're afraid of how people are going to perceive you. Um, I am self-conscious about sending the last text. Uh, in an ideal world, the other person is the last text in the conversation, right? Because you, sa- you sound desperate when you're like the last LOL, right? Like you want to be like, they texted and like, I was like, okay, cool. And I was able to sit it down. You know, I didn't need the conversation to keep going. Uh, and that's real. Like, everyone's laughing, but I'm like, I really am like, can I not say something? Because I'm going to look cool. Um, if I, it's like turning this chair around and sitting on it backward when you're talking to somebody in text. Um, some of you are afraid that your friends that aren't Christians are going to make fun of you and think that you're a hypocrite. Because you are. Um, some of you are afraid that your professor is going to subtly disrespect your perspective in front of the class. They're not going to call on you again. They're going to grade your paper more harshly because of what you shared. Some of you guys have family that don't like value your spirituality. And you just feel like, if I bring it up, it's going to be awkward. Um, or they are like, it's great when people go into ministry, except for my kid, they have to study business. Uh, and like two people laugh and everyone else is like, oh. Um, and so you're like, you're afraid to even like dream that dream, right? Because you're afraid of what your parents are going to think about you. Um, can you be your whole self? And when I say your whole self, like if you're a Christian person, like who you are now as a person that's in Christ, can you be that person in your frat? Can you be that person in your sorority? Can you be that person in your major? Can you be that person with your advisor? Can you be who you are? Or do you have to hide Jesus until you're with your Christian friends and then you can let it out? Whose rejection are you afraid of? Um, And I just want to say, that fear is the most normal thing in the world. Uh, It doesn't mean that you're weird. Wanting to minimize yourself or deflect attention away from Jesus is normal. And like the believers in our passage, we need to pray for boldness and for confidence. And I hope that you will commit to praying for that kind of boldness in Jesus. But the question of verse 19 is the one that I want to leave before us tonight as we close. And that's this. Peter says, um, Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. And whose voice is louder in your ears day to day? Is it Jesus or is it the world? Is it your people on your hall, people in your class, people in your frat? And if that wants to make you curl into a ball and give up and feel like you just got shame-bombed hard at RUF and now you're going to walk back to Gardner Hall and feel like a turd the rest of the night, <laughs> I have great news for you. And, I hope, and I've been praying that this will be great news for you for the rest of your life. The power of Jesus is particularly potent For people who deny him. For people that deny Jesus. Who are embarrassed of Jesus. Who are scared to talk about Jesus. Because this Peter, who's literally standing in front of people that could take away his life and boldly proclaiming Jesus at at his own, the, the, the cost of his own life really, this is only a couple of months maximum 
from when Jesus was on trial with these same people. And a little girl, a little slave girl was like, hey, don't you know Jesus? And Peter was like, no, 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 not at all. What are you talking about? You're crazy. Get out of here. <laughs> and Jesus had told him that night before he went to, to, be, to his trial, he said, you know, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, never. Wouldn't do it. And then like literally like a seven-year-old girl's like, hey. And he's like, no, go away. Shh, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, Peter was an unfaithful friend. That's the worst. Peter was a coward. He was inconsistent, embarrassed, scared. And now he is standing in that same spot that Jesus stood and boldly proclaiming Jesus um, and that's because the power of Jesus is just so strong for those who deny him. I was reading a book recently called Gilead. It's by a woman named Marilyn Robinson. And a church in this story has a rooster on their weather vane. And she said a lot of churches back in the day used to have a rooster on, their, on the weather vane of their steeple. And the reason why was to remind those coming and going from the church of the rooster that crowed when Peter denied Jesus to remind them to repent and turn away from denying Jesus, of hiding Jesus from their friends. Um, there's good news for you tonight because Jesus stands with you in his power to do his work. There's a guy named John Perkins. John Perkins is one of the most beautiful, amazing human beings that's ever lived in our country. Um, he's given his life to fighting for uh, the rights of all people in the South. He was a big mover in the civil rights movement in Mendenhall, Mississippi. He had moved away from Mississippi. His, his parents were sharecroppers. He had moved away to California, and he got converted. He came to faith in Jesus, and so he moved back to Mississippi. And the thing about the Perkins family is that when they went to fight for justice because of the gospel for black and brown people in the South, um, it cost his family a lot. His daughter was in first grade when they integrated the school in Mendenhall, in Mendenhall, Mississippi. And no one sat next to her in class. First grade. My daughter, if you know my daughter, Georgia, she's in first grade. Um, no one sat next to her in class. Kids got off the monkey bars if she got onto the monkey bars. They ran away. She ate lunch by herself at a table by herself. And every day when the bell rang, she gathered all her books under her arm, and she walked to the big tree out in front of the school in Mendenhall, and she stood there alone, waiting to be picked up by the bus to go home. And one day, a couple of white boys came by, and they slapped the books out of her hand. She's in first grade. And she had committed to herself that she would not let any of these other students see her crying. Um, and so she closed her eyes, and she was fighting back tears. And she said, I'm not going to let them see me cry. And she composed herself, and when she opened her eyes, the boys were down on the ground, and they were gathering up her books. And uh, all the color had drained out of their face. And she turned over her shoulder and realized that her two older brothers were standing behind her. And these boys were gathering up their book, her books and giving them back to her in a neat little stack. Um, then she definitely did not cry. She had confidence because her older brother stood behind her. And they were her defenders and her rescuers. And it gave her all the confidence in the world to be bold. And the good news for you tonight, whether you know Jesus or don't, is that if you come to know Jesus by faith, God adopts you into his family. He becomes your father. And Jesus becomes your older brother. 
the one who always stands behind you, the one who always goes with you and protects you, and the one who is doing the actual miracles of healing people and giving new life. And listen, y'all, the door is always open for wretches and cowards, the good and the bad, the consistent and the inconsistent. It's in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you um, for your grace, your goodness, your consistency. Thank you that you defend us. And Lord, no matter where we're at tonight, we ask that you would give us the grace to trust you um, for the first time or in a new way. And that would be bold, Lord, that many would know that in you is newness of life. We pray in your name. Amen.